Well, good morning as well. My name's Josh. If we haven't connected before, one of the pastors here at the Ridge, and just great to be able to worship with you today, celebrate communion, whether you're here in our building or online. Uh, thank you for joining us. Well, over the last few years, I've noticed that um, I'm starting to get a little thin up front and, and a little bit in the back as well, and maybe the different camera angles that they use will show that. And when I say I've noticed, I probably would more, be more accurate to say that my children have helped me notice that the hair is starting to get a little thinner. Next summer, I'll be 40, so I figure if it goes, it goes. It's been a good run. I mean, that's a long time to have hair. So we'll see. Um, but I am slightly concerned for what my bald head might look like. I, I'm not sure if it would be like some of the ones I'm seeing right now. Just have a nice, smooth appearance. Because when I was five, I was on an old-fashioned merry-go-round with the center cut out, and I fell inside while it was still going. And I don't remember this, but my mom tells me I tried to get back up while it was going full force. Cracked my head open. That was stitches number one. When I was 13, I hit a growth spurt of about three or four inches. And there was a, a crick, some of you like to refer to as a crick. Creek, crick, creek, crick. And there was a bridge overhead. And we would, we would play down there, me and my brothers. And I would be able to freely run beneath that bridge. But after I hit the growth spurt, I went on to hit the beam of the bridge. That was stitches number two. And then when I was 16, 17, I was helping to demo a house. And for some reason, whoever was in charge literally assigned me to go in the construction dumpster to break down the material, which probably wasn't a good idea. There was a great long board and I remember striking that board as hard as I could and the next thing I thought happened, which wasn't the case, I thought I got bit by a snake. Like the feeling that came over me, somehow I attributed to being bit by a snake, I'd ever been bit, bitten by a snake, and I reached up on my head and it is spraying. Not like a little bit, but it was spraying and I guess what happened was when I struck that board, there was a nail at the tail end of it and it came racing back towards me. By God's grace, it didn't hit my face or my eye, but it grazed over my scalp, sliced it right open, number three. So hence, let's all pray my hair hangs on, all right? Because I'm not sure how nice it will look. But in addition to those injuries, I've broken a few bones like every kid, you know, falls off of bicycles and skates and skin knees and elbows and all of it. And then I actually had an emergency appendectomy that was pretty close. And it probably sounds like I'm accident prone. I'm really not, but probably have had my share of physical injuries over the years. Now, just like all of us here today, I haven't just had physical pain which uh, even looking back on, you can kind of laugh at some of the instances, you know. Um, but I've experienced some things just like you that hurt a lot more than a broken bone or stitches. Uh, we've lost family and friends, some of whom were, were young and some um, that were just tragic and, and, and felt like it was just too soon. Uh, I've had seasons where I have not felt like myself and Particularly, we had moved and we had another child and you know that those big life transitions can be tough anyway. 
But it was probably a full year that I did not feel like myself. I struggled to laugh, I struggled to cry, I struggled to let people in. It was a tough year. I play many roles like you. I'm a husband, I'm a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor, a pastor, a manager, community member. And in all of those roles, there's a lot of relationships, which means there's a lot of people you can potentially hurt. And I have hurt a lot of people over the course of my life, and there have been people who have hurt me. I think of a recent time where I lost my cool, I lost my temper, I was tired and exhausted, and I, I yelled at a good friend of mine. Very out of character, but I, I've hurt people, and I've been hurt as well. Um, there's been times where we struggled to pay our bills. There's times where we struggle to know how to help our kids who are hurting, and and you have all asked God big prayers and you didn't get the answer that you hoped for or maybe in the time you hoped for or maybe it worked out very differently. And then most recently, my wife and I, along with our church, have been on a, a foster care journey. We um, signed up this time last year, spent the, the summer and fall uh, going through all of the training and then we've had our home open to, to two boys the last five months. And you know, as a church and and even as our own family, we have seen firsthand the trauma and the abuse and, and everything that is associated with, with the foster world. It is really, really painful. I mean, we live in a broken, sinful world. I think we can all acknowledge that. We look around our own lives, we look around, we look online. It's a broken world, but it's not what God intended. It's not what he intended, but because of sin, it was broken, and therefore we experience pain of all kinds. We experience physical pain, like I just described, but we also experience relational, emotional, mental, financial, uh, spiritual. I mean, there is so much pain that we encounter in this life, and I think when those things come at me, I, I find myself surprised. But as a Christian, I shouldn't be surprised because actually Jesus said that's what was gonna happen. John 16, as he was getting closer and closer towards the cross, Jesus said this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's almost like someone pulls you aside and says I've got some good news and some bad news. And we believe in the good news that Jesus has, in fact, conquered sin and death and that one day he will return to make all things new, wipe away every, tie, every, every, every tear from every eye, as we've already talked about today. But the reality is, is we are here now. And today, the point of this message is May 1st, 2022, and there are many things that we are facing that are very difficult. Now, uh, with our kids, we, we find ourselves often, you know, at doctor's appointments and in almost any room I've been in, um, you know, examination room, there's always one of these. You guys know what this is? You, you've seen this. All right, it's a pain scale and you've got the, the green guy who's just happy, he's got no pain. Then you have all the way to a, a grimacing number 10 that's just unbearable, unimaginable pain and then you have everywhere in between. 
And I think for me, kind of all things considered, physical, emotional, relational, all of that, I'm probably today at a four, five, maybe six. I've had seasons of zero, probably not seasons of 10, maybe eights and nines. And I would just ask you as we launch into this message, where would you place yourself on that pain scale? Maybe today you are at a zero, maybe you're at a five, or maybe you are encountering something that is the worst pain imaginable. I do want to encourage you, wherever you are on that pain scale, that that I think there's going to be something in God's word today that will lift you up. We're continuing this series, Finding Purpose. Today we're talking about finding purpose in pain, and perhaps it's something from your past or something from your present right now that you're facing or something that you will encounter because in this world we will have sorrows and troubles, something yet to come. And this isn't something that we like to talk about. It's not something I like to talk about. It's confusing, it's hard, it's it's painful to talk about pain, but I want us to talk about it. I want us to get some help here because I think our options are either to ignore it and pretend like it's not happening, just stuff it away, or maybe we try to numb it in unhealthy ways. But if we do that, we're not going to find healing and we're not going to find the purpose that I believe exists in our pain. So I'm going to share three truths today from God's word that have helped me immensely. Um, and when people even come to me and say, Josh, I'm going through something really challenging. I'm, I may lose my marriage. I may lose my job. We may have this, this illness, whatever it might be. I bring them to these three truths. I hope today it gives you encouragement. But before we get to those three main truths, I want to just have us consider for a moment how maybe ironic it is that that the people we celebrate in the Bible, the, the heroes of our faith, you might think, well, if those people are close to God and are used by God and, and kind of these superheroes, that their life would be perfect, that they would never experience any pain. But it almost is like the more that God uses a person, the more pain they experience. We just came through the Easter season and we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, Jesus conquering sin and death. But before Sunday, came Friday, his crucifixion. First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. Jesus is the suffering servant, the suffering servant, suffered every imaginable type of pain, loss, abuse, and ultimately his crucifixion. We also see, and I could have created a list of 20 different characters, but you consider Joseph, who was hated and abused by his brothers. David was tormented by King Saul, went on to commit adultery and murder. The prophet Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah wanted to die, and Job lost everything, including his children. And if I were to consider a biblical character that would be maybe on par in in some ways to Jesus Christ, I would put Christ at number one, terms of pain and suffering, and I I might put the Apostle Paul at number two. He experienced a lot. He was a zealous leader within Judaism. He met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. His life was changed, and then God sent him out on a mission 
to take the good news of Jesus, that life is found in him and spread this message, but along the way, he faced many trials and sorrows. If I were to summarize the types of pain that he experienced, I would say he, he encountered the pain of life, the things that are simply out of our control, the circumstances, the difficulties, the limitations, the disabilities, the, the car accidents, the things that just happen that are hard. He experienced pain caused by others, which is often sometimes the worst kind when someone hurts you intentionally or unintentionally. And then he experienced pain and suffering from his own doing, his own sinful choices before and after he met Christ. And there's a couple places that his experience is summarized, and, and one of them is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 24 to 28. As you hear these scriptures, and if you're reading and following along, remind yourself that he is a real person, right? This isn't fiction. A real human being with thoughts and emotions and hopes and dreams and, and things that really did hurt. Listen to some of what he encountered as he was doing what God asked him to do. Five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. He had a big purpose, he accomplished a lot, but he encountered a lot of pain. Now, if you follow to the next chapter, chapter 12, it describes something that he dealt with for his entire, nearly his entire life. It's described, and you, you know this, the thorn in the flesh. Probably a reference that Paul would have known from the book of Judges, chapter two, verse three, it described enemies as, as thorns in the sides. It's a, it's a metaphor for just this ongoing pain, like a, like a bad splinter. So it says this in 12 verse seven, therefore so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. And there's a lot of speculation about what that might be. Um, we don't know ex specifically what it was. It, it could have been something in his heart, it could have been something in his body. I'm inclined to believe that it had something to do with his eyesight. Because in Galatians, another book that he wrote, he talked about writing large letters with his own hands. And he also, in chapter four, said that those believers would have taken out their own eyes to give them to him. So I'm inclined to believe that it was his eyesight, but we don't know for certain. But whatever it was, it was painful. It was chronic. It was not going away. Now, you would think, again, someone like a superhero, you know, of the faith, that if he had something that was plaguing him, if he was facing challenge, that God would just what? 
change the circumstance, just magically make it go away, but that's not the case. He continues, concerning this, concerning this, which was the thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. He begged the Lord. I mean, you can, you can see him on his knees. God, this is painful. This is chronic. This hurts. Will you take it away? And God didn't. He didn't take it away. So Paul continued through his life, continuing to face hardship and trials, and ultimately, church tradition holds that he was martyred and he was actually beheaded probably under the Roman Emperor Nero around 64 AD. He suffered all the way into the end. So with all of that pain, all of that suffering and loss, how does he keep going? How did Paul get out of bed? And there's a lot of different angles that we could go, but I do think one of them is that he understood that there was purpose in his pain that there was purpose in his pain and it, and it didn't just happen, he really had to look for it. And that's something that I think we can do as well. So first, to find purpose in your pain, I wanna encourage us to look up, to look up. I think sometimes when we're facing hardship, we get angry at God. Why would you allow this to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? All of that or it's just so confusing, or we have so many doubts that we don't turn to the person who cares the most for us. I know I've been there. I love the reminder of 1 Peter chapter five that, that maybe when we've convinced ourselves that God is too busy for us, or he has bigger fish to fry, that God really does care. 1 Peter five says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at proper time casting all your care on him, all of your care, because he cares for you. This is such a great promise. I, I consider myself, maybe I'm not, to be a pretty caring person. You know, when people come to me, I listen and empathize, but I eventually reach a point where I'm like, I need a break, you know? Um, not so with God. He says, bring it all. Bring it all, bring it all, bring it all, bring it all over and over again because he truly does care. That's what makes him different. In 2 Corinthians 1, again from Paul, he's described in this way, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. There's that word again so that we may be able to comfort those in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. He truly is a God of comfort. And I think for me, sometimes I just need to know that. I, I, I think I'm at a point in my journey that, that I don't expect that things are just gonna change quickly or abruptly. But I do need to be reminded that God cares for me. You know, we have a lot of kids running around our house and it seems like every hour, one of them are coming to me with a scratch, a boo-boo, a freckle that wasn't there and is now there, a cut or a red marker that could be a cut. Most of the time I'm not dialing 911, right? Most of the time it doesn't need a Band-Aid. 
What do those children need from me as their father? What, what do they need in that moment when they bring the freckle or the boo-boo or whatever it is? They just need to know I'm there. And they just need to know I care. And that helps immensely and I think it helps us as well. Now not only when we look to God and look up to God do we find comfort, but we also are reminded that he is in control. And that might found, sound like Christianese 101. It's like, okay, yeah, 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 God's in control. He's sovereign. But I really do believe it. I've seen it in my life. One of the most beloved scriptures, Romans 8, 28, we know that, here it is again, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. This all includes all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our struggle, all of the good, all of the bad, all of the beautiful, all of the broken, God doesn't waste anything. Biblical scholar John Whitmer wrote, the things themselves may not be good, but God harmonizes them together for the believer's ultimate good because his goal is to bring them to perfection in his presence. Even adversities and affliction can contribute to that end. The active voice, present tense of the Greek verb synergy he works together, emphasizes that this is a continuing activity of God. Not a once and done. Not a he took that struggle or that pain or that poor choice five years ago. He does it time and time and time again. He takes the pain and he uses it for purpose. It reminds me of Friday. My daughter Sephora was thrilled to get her braces off, which is like the biggest celebration for a kid. And parents, they're expensive. That orthodontist was able to use something painful, like braces and expanders and all of it, to create what? A beautiful, healthy, lifelong smile. God does the same thing. He takes painful things that happen or that we cause, and he uses them for our good to create healthy, beautiful, purpose-filled lives. I believe it. So when we're experiencing pain, I encourage us to look up, first and foremost, that we turn our eyes to the one who cares more than no one else, but then we look out, that we look out to others for help. Oftentimes, we feel embarrassed, shameful, or scared whenever we're experiencing pain. But it's interesting to me that in the physical realm, we are very quick to get the help we need. You know, whenever I was busting my head open every few years, you go and get the help you need. There, there's no shame in that, but the other kinds of things that happen, things that have happened to us or we've caused, there's so much shame, there's so much, maybe even pride, that we keep people out, but we need help. Whether it's family, friends, or even professionals. Galatians chapter two, again, Paul says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love, and the greatest way to fulfill that law is to carry each other's burdens. But here's the thing, you can't look inside my heart. Your family, your friends, our church, your community can't see inside of you. You have to be willing to share it. You've gotta be willing to say, I'm struggling, or I'm hurting, or I'm in pain. I'll never forget, and you can steal this and say it's yours. I had a friend many years ago, a dear friend, who would check in on me, call me, that kind of friend. And he said, when I ask you the question, how are you, I need you to promise me that you won't lie to me. What did he mean by that? 
All day, in many circumstances, people ask the question, how are you? How are you doing? How's your family? How's that? And what do we say? I'm fine, I'm good. He said, please don't lie to me. If I say, how are you, and you're not good, say it so you can get the help you need. Now, on this point of looking out, when we're in our pain, that's when we need to look out for help. When you're in the midst of it, that might be six weeks, six years, or even longer, you need to keep looking out for help in various ways. But once God has brought you through that, not remove it, but through it, you're now in a position not to look out for help, but to help. And that to me has been one of the greatest ways that I've seen God use purpose from my pain. We've had some family conflict. We've had some trials. We had some financial things. We've had hard things in life. I understand those things. I can empathize. And whatever you have been through, you can use for others. I take us back again to that 2 Corinthians passage, describing God as the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. When God brings us through those difficult times and healing comes and peace is found, you're now in a position to help others. And when I'm able to leverage my pain and walk with someone who's going through something that I can understand, it has filled me with purpose. I would just ask you, what are those things that you've been through? If it was a toolbox and you fill it with a divorce, with a lost job, with the whatever that is, those are the things that God can use. Those are the things you're equipped to use in the life of others. I saw this on social media this week. I loved it. Helping one person might not change the world, but it could change the world for one person. Look out for help, but then look out to help. If you've been through it, you understand it. And when you have eyes to see someone who's facing a similar challenge, physical, emotional, mental, whatever it is, you're uniquely equipped to help them. And then finally, a third way to find purpose in our pain, we look up, we look out, and then we look in. We take time to look inward to see what God is doing. I have found, and again, it's just sort of this thing that seems counterintuitive, that the greatest work that God has done in my life has been in the valleys. Uh, I've said this before, but my dad's been a pastor since I was a little baby. And he said, Josh, you just need to, you need to know how life works. You're either on a mountain, so enjoy it, because a valley's coming, you'll get through it, and then another mountain will come. It's just how it works. We love the mountains. We love the blessings. We love the joy, pain scale, maybe zeros and ones. We love that. You'd probably be crazy not to. But it's when you're in the valleys, in the fives and sixes, seven, eights, nines, tens come, that's where God does his rich, meaningful work. I take us back to that passage, the thorn in the flesh. Now listen to Paul describing the thorn in the flesh in the context of, of looking in to see what God does in us, in our character, in our soul through the pain. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, 
Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. For I take ple- so I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He got to a place of actually being able to be joyful. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't sadistic. He wasn't looking for it. But in this world, you will have troubles and sorrows. So he just got to a point of realizing, okay, this is hard. I'd rather not be here, but God's gonna do his best work. So we don't just wish it away. We don't pray it away. We don't, every prayer is not change it, change it, change it, fix it. It's God, what are you trying to do right now? What is the work that you're trying to do in my life? This theme is all throughout the scripture. James 1, 2 to 4 is a great passage. A similar one would be from Paul, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through him by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. We rejoice in our afflictions because we know we have confidence that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God does his best work when you're in the valley. He does his best work when your pain scale is six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. I promise you he does. I've seen this in our family over the last, um, I guess, few months, our, our foster agency has been encouraging us to utilize what's called respite care. And many of you are familiar with that. There's other licensed foster families who uh, provide respite care. They provide a break to full-time foster parents. So we, we prayed about it, we talked about it, and felt like it was a good time to do it. So uh, we drove the boys over to, to their house across town and, and made sure they felt comfortable and safe. And, and we had phone calls before to get it ready. But then we left and we, we took a break. And it was nice. I'm not going to lie. It was nice. It was nice to just have a little bit of a break. And, and it's also good for the children who develop other healthy relationships with other people who care. It's good all the way around. But we, uh, we packed up our 1994 Fleetwood Jamboree camper. It's a classic, it's a beauty. We drove down to Blackwater State Falls and um, we had a great time. Towards the end of the trip, we went up to the lodge and um, we were gonna swim, but pain and suffering, the pool was closed. So we had to go in the hot tub. We're sitting around the hot tub, all, all six of us. And, and I realized in that moment that this was one of the first times in five months that it was just the six of us and there was space to just see each other. You know, when you really see someone, we saw each other. And we had been connecting and playing games and having fun and we really were bonded in that moment. And I thought this is a good time to ask some questions that I think they'll be able to answer. So I just said, kids, I said, what has been good about being a foster family? And they thought for a moment, and, and one of them said, it's fun having more kids to play with. One of them said, it's really nice to know that we're helping them stay safe. And then my daughter, she said, I, I just, 
I love how many, get, how many people get to love these boys with us. All the neighbors who bring meals and everybody from church who's helping. She's like, it's just, it's neat how many kids, how many people love the boys. And they added a few other thoughts and it was so cool. But then I asked them, I said, what's been hard? So what's been hard about opening your home, opening your life, bringing this in? And uh, my four-year-old Micah was quick to say, they drive me crazy. I wanted to say, goes both ways, buddy, trust me. You drive them nuts too, but I didn't. Uh, my seven-year-old Pierce said, sometimes it can be hard to get you and mom's attention. My nine-year-old Levi said, um, I kind of miss having my own room because he, he volunteered. We didn't make him. He volunteered to give up his room and move in with the younger boys to create a room dedicated to, to fostering. And then my daughter said, well, I, I just love him so much. And I hope they get to go back with their family, but I don't know what that would be like to let them go. And we're sitting in this hot tub and, and I looked them each in the eye and I said, I said, I need you to believe something. I said, me and mommy would never do anything to hurt you. We would never do anything to rob your childhood. But these kids need help. And God has called us to do this. And I said, each of you, Sephora, Levi, Pierce, Micah, you will be more patient. You will be more kind. You will be more empathetic. You will be stronger in so many ways than me or mommy will. You'll do greater things for God because you're experiencing the pain that has been brought on these young lives that should not have happened. And I looked him in the eye and I said, do you believe me? Do you trust what I'm saying? And they said, yes, Teddy, we do. That is how our God works. He doesn't want this broken world for us. One day he will fix it. He says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? That I'm going to take the hard things that you've been through that shouldn't have happened and that I'm going to use it. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be more equipped. You're going to be more patient. Do you believe it? I think that's the question for all of us today. So I want to encourage you, keep looking up to find purpose, keep looking up. I understand that it can be easy to get angry at God. I've been there. Keep looking up, he loves you, he cares for you. Keep looking out, humble yourself. Humble yourself and get help. And when you're healed, help others. And look in, look in to see what God's doing. So we actually wanna help you do that this morning. I'm gonna pray. Chad's gonna sing a song that's so beautiful. It's the anchor in the storm. But as he sings and as the band leads us, look in and consider the pain that you've been through. And just ask God, what have you done? What have you done in my life, God? So let's pray. God, you are the God of all comfort. You comfort us in our weakness and in our pain. Our Savior has suffered like no one else. 
God, I pray that you meet us right where we are, especially those who are in unimaginable pain and grief. I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would comfort them right now. And, and God, as we consider the storms of life, help us find comfort in knowing that you are the anchor. You won't let our boat flip over. You won't let us drown. You are with us and you are for us and you are good. We trust you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.